Shane. Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Well, I had, uh, I had the unique pleasure and honor to be preaching in here last Sunday morning, uh, 10 o'clock. And some of you are going, what, what program did I miss? What was happening? Um, we rent to a church that gathers in our place here on Sunday mornings. And uh, some of you know Olin Ritchie, who uh, directed and coordinated all the music for our Christmas concert with Selah. And um, he has a church that was looking for a home, and we said, Mi casa, you casa, right? And so they're here on Sunday mornings. And uh, he said, would you come preach? And so I came, and uh, it was a strange feeling to be standing right here on Sunday morning, looking at a bunch of faces I did not know. Um, especially when I'm used to being in my pajamas at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, as long as I possibly can. But it was, it was fun, it was good to be here, and once I got going, I, I felt a little bit more at home. Um, but great group of people. We're looking at trying to partner together a little bit for our, our Easter service here on Sabbath. So it should be a lot of, a lot of fun, good together. Um, as you probably heard, the unfortunate news that Heidi Langford passed away last Tuesday evening. And um, it's been a hard week, I know, for family and for, um, for friends and for us as a church community. I just wanted to remind you that the services are today at 4. The doors will be open at 3. And we encourage you to come uh, fairly early as they anticipate uh, several hundred coming. I think Brent said they were planning at least 150 in family alone. So um, we encourage you to come out and support the family here uh, this afternoon. Today, I want to begin a series on the parables, as you figured. Um, the stories that Jesus told. Now, Jesus, of course, was a fantastic storyteller. I guess it depended, though, on if you figured out he was talking about you or not in his story. Uh, some people didn't like the way he told stories. In fact, the Bible tells us that because of his parables, some people wanted to kill him. Some of the stories he told. And uh, parables are kind of interesting because I think, I, I think it was uh, Barclay I read years and years ago. He said, parables are like time bombs. You know, Jesus was telling these stories and they would hear these stories and they go, oh, that was a nice story. And, and you'd be thinking about it. Then you'd go out and work in the field during the day and then, hey, <laughs> he's talking about this and this is where I fit into this. And, and you might be blessed, or you might be offended. But Jesus used parables for his teachings and everything that he did. I want to share with you just a little bit uh, from, from one Bible dictionary. I like the way that they described it. They said, Jesus interpreted his ministry and his place in salvation history by means of parable. He addressed different audiences, such as the crowds, the disciples, the critics, with definite purposes. Indeed, the teller was as the tell is important. That is, the fact that Jesus was the author affects the meaning. As Jesus interpreted his ministry through parables, these sometimes have a Christological penetration. Jesus himself appears indirectly in the story. The parables are not merely clever stories, but proclamation of the gospel. The hearer must respond and is invited by the story to make a decision about the kingdom and the king. These stories got Jesus in trouble as he made veiled claims of kingliness and exposed the hypocrisy in the religious hierarchy. One of the reasons they crucified Jesus was because of his challenging parables and the claims of his kingdom. When Jesus told a story, it always had a point to it. In a parable, unlike an allegory, an allegory 
You could have several things in the story which all mean certain things, but in a parable there's, there's one meaning and there's one object that really brings that meaning. There could be other objects in it, but there's one main point to it. And so Jesus told some very pointed stories. And we're going to be looking at those stories for the next few months because of, because of our life schedule and things that happen in our worship services. Um, we won't be able to do it every week, obviously. So we're going to be looking at 12 of these stories over time. Today... I want to look at the story of, guess what? <laughs> the merchant and the, per- and the pearl of great value. It's found in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. We'll put it on the screen for you. But if you also want to uh, turn some pages, there's a Bible in front of you too where you can look at it uh, right there in your lap. Matthew 13, verses 45 to 46 And Jesus began to tell the story. Now, he had been telling parables about the kingdom to a great crowd. But here, he's in a house, and he's talking specifically to his disciples. And he says these words. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant looking for fine pearls. Because merchants weren't really liked a whole lot. They weren't looked at in great favor. In fact, there's only one other place in the whole New Testament where this word appears. And it's in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, when you have this message which says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. It's the only other place that word is used in the New Testament. There are other forms of it, but even in the Old Testament, the word merchant isn't used in a favorable context. And so here's Jesus... The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who goes looking for fine pearls. I imagine the disciples must have been, what? A merchant? We don't like merchants that much per se. It's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one, he gives it all up for the pearl. The merchant wasn't expecting to find that one great pearl He was out to find many pearls. He was surprised, I believe, as he went out that day searching for those fine pearls to do his business, and he comes across one like he had never seen before in his life, about this big. (laughs) And there it was. His life was about to change. It wouldn't be the same anymore because of this pearl. And he finds this pearl... And he sells everything. Now I'd like to suggest to you, it wasn't a sacrifice for him to sell everything. We might look at it and say, he sacrificed it all for the pearl. No, 
when he realized the value of this pearl. It was time to get rid of everything because everything he had didn't compare to the value of that pearl. And so he sold it all and his life changed. Probably somewhat similar to what Jesus had said in the verse just before when he said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. In his joy, I imagine also that this merchant, in his joy when he found this pearl, sold everything with joy. Could you imagine? Yes, take it. Give me your money. Take it. I just want this one thing. And he gives it all, and he buys the pearl. I was reading the uh, commencement address for MIT given in 2013 the other day by Drew Houston, the founder of what some of you may use called Dropbox. If you store things in the cloud, you may be using Dropbox to share files and so forth. Well, this, this man was the founder of Dropbox, Drew Houston, a graduate of MIT. And in his commencement speech, he said this, when I think about it, the happiest and most successful people I know don't just love what they do, they're obsessed with solving an important problem, something that matters to them. They remind me of a dog chasing a tennis ball. <laughs> Their eyes go a little crazy, the leash snaps, and they go bounding off, plowing through whatever gets in the way. So it's not about pushing yourself, it's about finding your tennis ball, the thing that pulls you. So he says, what's your tennis ball? You know, we used to have a couple of big golden retrievers, and we used to love throwing the ball with them. And fortunately, they... they passed away several years ago, but every once in a while I see this, this person in our neighborhood, and there's a park in our neighborhood, and he's got this golden retriever, and he doesn't just have a tennis ball. He has one of these, like, catapults. <laughs> it's plastic, but it bends, you know, and the, and the ball fits perfectly in it, and he whips it back, and the thing goes, whoosh, and that thing takes off, and it's amazing just to watch, I mean, because he doesn't just throw it, like, to the back of the church. I mean, that thing just takes off, and that dog just goes. And that, the dog's eyes, you can tell, are a little crazy, you know. And it's chasing after it, and he doesn't care. It's saliva coming out everywhere, you know, as golden retrievers do, just saliva coming out. It gets that ball, <sighs> comes back, saliva everywhere, puts the ball down in front of his master, do it again, right? <laughs> and I just don't want to pick up that ball. <laughs> I can't imagine. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. But you know, you've seen it. You've seen that dog with the crazed eyes searching for that tennis ball. That must have been what that merchant's eyes looked like. That's the one. I will do anything. And it's not a sacrifice. It's a joy to obtain this pearl. Church Jesus, in a sense through this story, is asking us today, what's your pearl? What's your tennis ball? And his life and his ministry was here to proclaim that the greatest thing of value, the greatest thing we could find in this life is him and his kingdom. A kingdom full of forgiveness, a kingdom full of unconditional love, a kingdom that not only finds us, but then grows us and transforms us into incredible human beings full of the spirit of God a renewing of the mind, a healing of the heart, where broken relationships 
can be made right through grace. Money can't buy that. But when we are exposed to the opportunity of the loving reign of God, everything we have is not a sacrifice, but a joy to give away for the kingdom. I met my wife when I was 18 years old. I didn't know she was my wife at that point. She was going to be my wife. But I remember I... uh, I've shared some of this with you in the past, but I kind of broke the mold for my family. My mom, is she here today? Mom, are you here today? She's usually over here. She didn't, no. Oh, she didn't, what? She's, you went out of position. What are you doing? <laughs> there she is. My, uh, my wife and children are not here today. They're at Palm Springs Church with the rest of MGA's choir and chorale, so I can talk about my wife a lot today. <laughs> now, what happens in church stays in church, right? But uh, I was breaking the mold, and I had three older siblings. Of course, the typical pattern, you know, was go to our academy, go to one of our colleges, and I broke that mold, and I I went to the local community college. And uh, so I knew my parents were concerned, but they were loving and supportive, and they were concerned. But what I really found out was the deep concern was, at first, yes, the education, but the other one was spouse, right? (laughs) Who is he going to meet at this Philistine school, right? (laughs) We can't have him marrying a Philistine. Mom, don't worry, everything will be all right. I mean, that's what we always tell our parents, right? But they know otherwise. And so there I was going to this school, and it was much bigger than any school I was ever used to, and all kinds of people in class. Classes were huge and so forth. and, And I started noticing this girl who happened to be in a few of my classes. And thank God our accounting teacher had assigned seats in his class. Because then we got to sit next to each other and I got to, you know, we got to try to see are your debits equal in your credits and there's this, you know, all this type of stuff. And, and uh, long story short, I realized that I think she's the one, you know. She kind of helped. She worked with the spirit a little bit because I started noticing that, like, how come, like, her car, we tend to park in the same area. That's kind of weird. That's kind of, you know, coincidence, I guess, you know. Little did I know that she was being a little intentional in that effort. <laughs> and um, so then uh, I told my parents I had met someone, and they were like, uh-huh, tell us, you know. And, well, of course, she wasn't Adventist, and she wasn't really going to church, and her parents were in the restaurant business, and wonderful people. Italian, Polish, you know, great cooks. Uh, they had a restaurant, had a bar and all kinds of things. Not your typical, you know, you know mom was worried. Let's just say that. <laughs> but she also was a prayer. And um, so it got to a point in my relationship with Lisa uh, that I finally realized I was wrestling with God enough to say, you know, I think I know what God wants me to do now. And I was thinking of going to La Sierra. And I was kind of getting more serious with God. And I, I came to a point where I said, all right, God, if Lisa's the one, I need to totally tell her where my heart is. I need to let her know that I think that you're calling me to be a pastor and so on. And if she's the one, then she's going to be good with that. If she's not, then she's not the one. And so I remember, I can remember, I'll never forget this night. I was nervous as I'll get out. Because I, I really believed I loved her. And I believed she was the one. 
I remember standing there in her driveway next to my, and guys, you'll appreciate this, next to my 1965 Mustang. (laughs) My other love at the time. (laughs) Which I wish I still had. I grieve that one. But standing there, that was a good life, right? 18 years old, 65 Mustang, beautiful girl in front of you. And I remember saying, I need to tell you something. And I told her, I said, I believe that God is calling me to go deeper with him and that he wants me to be a pastor. And I, don't, I, I'm, I thought for sure she was going to say, are you out of your mind? And then she said this, she goes, you know, I've been kind of thinking the same thing. Not to be a pastor, but she was thinking about her relationship with God and us getting more serious and God being the center of that. And I thought, wow. And she said, you know, when I was like 12 years old, I accepted Jesus into my heart in a canoe out on a lake at a Christian summer camp. And that wasn't nurtured at home, but she had given her heart to Jesus and she wanted that with her life. Little did she know that one night, this Adventist guy would be in her driveway talking about God and getting more serious with God. And I just thank God that almost 28 years later of marriage and 27 years of ministry together, it has been one of the greatest things in my life and greatest decisions in my life. Now that doesn't even compare to Jesus in the kingdom of God. He says, here's my kingdom. Here's my life. I'm yours. Is there absolutely anything in our life that could be worth more than Jesus offering his kingdom to us and his very life? It's not a sacrifice, is it? It's a joy. It's a joy. There's another passage I would like to just look at that I think will help us with this parable in another way. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30, Jesus has a conversation with a a rich young man. And in this passage, it reads, let me find it in my Bible actually. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, notice I love this. I love how Jesus just kind of, he's such a great teacher. I mean, he's God. He's a great teacher. But I love it when he says, you know, why do you call me good? Because he he knows that what he's going to tell this man, if he's a good teacher, then you ought to accept what I have to say, what's coming but you might not agree with what I'm going to say, so maybe I'm not a good teacher. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, this is, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete and full in this life I'm talking about, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Did you notice the twist Jesus put at the very beginning? The man was asking, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? But Jesus said in verse 17, If you want to enter life, do this. The man was saying, I've done all this now. How do I make sure I get How do I make sure I get the pearl at the end? And Jesus, in a sense, was saying, it's not the pearl at the end. It's the pearl now of life with me. Enter life with me. And while the rich man had focused on all these other things to do, obviously the riches were his pearl. We have certain things in our life that reveal to us at times maybe what some of our fine pearls might be. Could be wealth. It could be a skill that we are confident in. Could be a position. It could be education. Could be anger. Control. Could be manipulation. Could be unforgiveness. Whatever thing I put my confidence in to accomplish what I feel I need to do in life, other than submitting to the reign of God, that's my pearl. The thing I I rest in, the thing I find security in. But Jesus says that it's found by, in a sense, surrender and giving it up. Or as we would say, going all in. By grace, by following Jesus, which is why following him is such great news. Come follow me and you'll learn how to live this life. This selling everything for the one pearl, in my experience, only happens on a day-to-day basis. Because I'm going to say I'm going to do it tomorrow and I'm going to do it 10 years from now, but we all know that each day has its circumstances. And there are some days I put the the great pearl to the side because In my sin, I put confidence in myself in doing something I think I need to do in my power. Anytime I put confidence in my flesh, other than what Jesus says to do and how to do it, I reveal my pearls. But the only great pearl that brings the greatest of life now and forevermore is trusting Jesus and trusting how he says to do life, forgiving my enemies, turning the other cheek, 
going the extra mile. You can fill in the blank with your life situation. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. The message says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. You know, I get a kick out of um, us as human beings. You ever come across somebody that just looks really fit? You know, they have what I like to call the Abba's Abba's, you know? I like to eat Abba's Abba's, but they have the, you know, and they're just, they're what they call ripped, and, and they just look, man, they just look like the epitome of health. And, and, and you say, man, it sure would be nice to be healthy like that, you know? And, you're, and so, you, you, so you go and you, you know, I gotta find out their secret. Right? But you know what their secret is, right? You know, you know they're going to say, I eat really good, I sleep well, and I exercise regularly, and probably drink eight glasses of water a day. Right? And they're very disciplined. But what you want them to say is, I have donuts for breakfast every morning. <laughs> right? right? With chocolate milk. And I don't have a time to make lunch, so I drive through Taco Bell for lunch every day. Get the same thing. You know, no cheese and a diet soda. But, and then for dinner, I'm always in a hurry. So I just have, I just schedule Domino's every single night. Right? That's what we do. Light cheese, of course. And then at night, you know, mom always taught me cookies and milk before bed. And that's how I get this six-pack, right? That's how this happens. We, we, want them to, we want them to say, just keep living your life like you've always lived it. And then, you know, there's this one secret supplement that I found on late-night TV. <laughs> if you just take that and don't even change your lifestyle, you can have Abba's Abba's too, right? We want them to say that because that's such a comfortable life but we know it's impossible. We really know that if I want to be really healthy, I've got to eat well, sleep well, exercise well. Jesus comes along into people's lives and he says, you want this life. I will teach you how to enter this life. Come follow me because I am the pearl of great value. There is no other pearl in this life Outside of me, Jesus says, and my kingdom and the love of the Father that is of greater value. Once you give your life to the kingdom and to the great reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for offering us the greatest life that humankind was created to live. And even though we live in a sinful painful, very evil at times world. It can't hinder us by entering into your kingdom because of your grace and your forgiveness and your sacrificial love. So Jesus, may we today continue to grow in saying yes to you. In each day, 
throwing ourselves all in to your life in this world and your mission in this world. Yes, there are things that catch our attention. There are things we are tempted to put before you. Relationships, jobs, earning money, seeking education. There are many, many things that we can put before you, but none of them ever will lead to the joy of your kingdom being first in our life. So Jesus, today as we, as we will spend a moment in silent prayer, I pray that you through the presence of your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and minds to allow ourselves to grow in surrendering ourselves into the joy of your reign. Would you take a moment now in silent prayer to just be still and to listen to your reigning king this morning. Now as we go, may we go enjoying and allowing Jesus to be our everything by following him one day at a time all the way into eternity. God bless you.